You are listening to The Christian Commute, a commute-length podcast about Christian apologetics, theology, and other matters of Christian interest. Here is your host, Seth Dunn. It's Thursday, May 18th. This is The Christian Commute. I'm your host, Seth Dunn. I'm leaving work at 6. Because I got no practices and no games to go to, so what I'm gonna do? What am I gonna do in my life? I'm gonna work here till six, slave away in my office, and until I die or until the next season comes around. One of my favorite things about Thursday, other than it being the day before Friday, is Thursday is the day that I leave my computer at my office. I don't take it home unless I have to leave early to go to some sports event. I don't take it home. I'm not going to work. I'm not going to work tonight. My computer is sitting in my office, and I'm going to come back and get it tomorrow. So I'm just going to hang out and relax when I get home. Maybe, just maybe, I'll upload tonight and last night's, <laughs> or I should say Tuesday's episode of the Christian Commute. And it's not going to be a full episode. Full episodes. Are, are no longer normative. They're relics of the past. If you desire to have a full time ep- a full episode, you should write to Seth Dunn88 at gmail.com or dial 470-315-0875 and send me your question about theology or apologetics and keep it short, short enough for me to memorize. And tell me where you're from, because it's just interesting to me. I made a heat map today at work. A heat map of some sales. Stuff we're selling and where we're selling it. People think those are cool. I like to make them, but I I don't know how useful they are. But this is where my revenue is coming from. Heat map. Maybe one day I'll make a heat map of my Christian commute questions. North Georgia... Florida, California, and Texas would be on that heat map. And by the way, if you make a heat map of where you sell stuff, also those will pop up because those states are huge and they have a lot of money. (laughs) And they have a lot of theological questions. All right. No questions. What's today's show title? Because we're done with the Through Seminary series. We have gone through every single class that I took. I even mentioned papers that you could, you guys could go read on my old blog. I looked one up today because I was talking about theodicy with somebody at work. And I said, you know, I wrote on this once. And I looked it up. And I was like, wow, I used to write a lot on this blog. And now, nothing, hardly anything at all. I haven't written a pulpit and pen article in a few weeks either, maybe two weeks. I have to think of something to write up, write about. I've been complaining about contemporary worship music a lot, so-called worship music. Here's what's wrong with Hillsong. Now here's what's wrong with the people who sing Hillsong. Because it doesn't sing itself. <sighs> we'll see what I get to. I'm not going to do one this Sunday because uh, usually Sunday is the day I write, but I'll be in Noonan. For the second half of a soccer tournament. Don't worry, I'm not skipping church for sports. I found an, I've found a church service in Noonan to go to. 
I'm probably going to do a, a podcast about that. Finding a church out of town when you're on vacation or going on one of these tournaments. To put it in perspective, this is the one sports tournament I've done this year. Not like all these heathens who make it's their religion. They need to get off of the Facebook and into the good book. They're on the Facebook posting about their tournament scores. God don't care about your tournament scores. Who are you evangelizing? There's Pharisee, there's Pharisee Seth, Pharisee Independent Redneck Baptist Seth, IFB Seth. <laughs> Get your dresses on, ladies. Stop dressing like men out here. You want to be like Hillary Clinton, dominating everything. Okay, what, what am I talking about? My show topic. What have I got? What am I doing? Today's show topic is Through With Seminary. See, like how I did that? I did the Through Seminary series, and this is Through With Seminary. Sort of a retrospective on what we've just been talking about. And as always, we have the Bible chapter review. I don't need you people to write in about to have a show because I've got, I've got the Bible. And uh, if I run out of scripture, I'll just start over. <coughs> We're still in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. This could have been a two sticky note show, but it's not going to be. We're right here in the middle of the parable of the wicked tenants. So this is sort of part two of me doing the parable of the wicked tenants. We're in 39 through 43. So if you'll recall from yesterday, Jesus started the parable. And he said there are these tenants in a vineyard. And they didn't want to pay the rent. They didn't want to, to pony up the share of the produce that belonged to the landowner. When he sent his servants to collect, they, in fact, they killed his servants and beat him. He sent his son, and they said to themselves, all right, here's the heir. We'll kill him too, and then the land will be ours. So starting in verse 39, they took him, that is the son, they took him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? This is Jesus talking to the chief priests. And they said to him, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, and he will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. Jesus said to them, Did you never read in the scriptures? And then he's going to quote Psalm 18. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. Well, hold on. I got to turn. I got to merge. I thought that red light would hold longer. It didn't. This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and be given to a people producing the fruit of it. And if it wasn't clear to these Pharisees, or not Pharisees, to these chief priests before, Jesus is talking about them. Like I've been saying, they are the barren fig tree. They are the disobedient son. They are the wicked tenants. And the scripture, when we get to it, Lord willing, tomorrow, is going to spell this out. It even says, and then they realized he was talking about them. So he tells them this parable and they get it. Like It's sort of the obvious answer. What's the landowner going to do to these people who killed his slaves, won't pay the rent, and then killed his son? He's going to bring those wretches to a wretched end. They are going to pay. They are going to get kicked out of the vineyard. They don't deserve the vineyard. And he's going to give it to somebody who will use it right. 
So Jesus refers back to Isaiah about the vineyard. We talked about that, Isaiah 5. Now Jesus refers to Psalm. Because when, he, when, he, when they give their answer, which is the common sense answer, he's leading this. There's not going to be another answer. The answer's not going to be, well, he's just going to let him go. He won't, he's not going to do anything about it. No, the answer is he's going to kick him out and kill him. They're going to get, the wretches will be put to a wretched end. Jesus gives them this parable with this obvious answer to the question, and they answer it right. And then he says, have you never read the scriptures? And he's like, the stone that the builders rejected. He's like, you guys are rejecting me. I'm the chief cornerstone. And you're the wicked tenants. This is about you. And he very plainly tells them the kingdom of God is going to be taken away from you and given to somebody else. This is incredibly damning. He is condemning these people in the most withering way possible. And they do not like it. And we're going to discuss that further on the next Bible chapter review on Friday. Now, I want to make this point before I move on. Because you know my pet thing to talk about is replacement theology. And do you know why I think that is? Because... Everything else I grew up learning in church and hearing about in church, I agree with. This is the only thing that wasn't taught to me, I'll say. Like, I wished this would have been taught to me and explained to me, and I would have understood the kingdom better. But instead, I got a bunch of dispensationalism and and, then, and support Israel, because that's what's popular around here. I wish somebody would have explained to me that the church is Israel sooner. And I I didn't know that there was this entire history of church thought on this, and there was this entire branch of Christianity, what you might call Reformed Christianity, that believed in so-called replacement theology. And I'm like, oh, oh, I get it. This makes perfect sense. This makes absolutely perfect sense. And I have seen an argument out of this parable, which I thought was a pretty good one, even though the parable is not about quote-unquote replacement theology. I have seen an argument out of this parable in the book for views on Israel and the church, which was put together by Chad Owen Brand. You can find a review on it, a a review of this book that I did uh, on my blog blog, gsethdunn.wordpress.com I think I put it at Pulpit and Pen but this was years ago and the guy uh, who was arguing he was the amillennial guy so it wasn't this book was not necessarily an argument about uh, views of the millennium but it was an argument about well what's our view of Israel and, you know, you sort of default when the premillennial dispensational people have to have Israel as this people separate from the church for their little charts to work out. And then the Amil people see it differently. So it was not about the millennium. It was about uh, the view of Israel. But I think the guy who was Amil, the Presbyterian guy who wrote this, who wrote his view, because there's people uh, submitting their views 
of Israel. And he used this parable to make a pretty good argument about replacement theology, saying like, all right, Israel, ethnic Israel at the time, Jesus goes to their leaders, and they are the people, they are the very wicked tenants who are going to be replaced. And it's the church who is replacing them in the vineyard, in the kingdom of God. They are the people bearing the fruit. Now, there could be arguments against uh, applying that parable that way. That's, that's fine if to argue. I could think of some. I'm not going to go over them. But, you know, I, when you talk about, well, there's this separate Israel, I just, I just don't see it. And I wish it had been uh, taught to me earlier. That's just, that's not me saying, let's exegete this out of the scripture. That's me saying, hmm, that's interesting. I read this in a book once. And Lord willing, we'll finish this parable and its application tomorrow. But for now, it's time to move on. It's time for me to move on away from this. Is this a Yankee? No, it's a Midwesterner. There's a Midwesterner driving slow in a white car on I-75. And I'm having to go all the way to the right lane to pass them because there's a Floridian driving slow in the middle lane. And I hope you, I hope you just caught the disgust with which I said Floridian. All right? Because Floridians are in my state driving slow. So now I'm around the Floridian, but I still can't get by this, this corn-fed person here from Nebraska. What kind of car is this? A Dodge Journey? Sometimes I'm like, I know they make cars because they, they think people are going to buy them. But like, I, I, I would never, ever buy a Dodge Journey. What possessed this person to buy a Dodge Journey and drive it slowly through my state? Ugh. I'm just not a big Dodge guy. I mean, if you're going to get like a little SUV car like that, I could think of lots of better options. <sighs> but then, uh, well, I'm criticizing cars. This is what happened when you people don't ride in. I'm going to tell them, why would anybody buy a Dodge Journey? I don't get it. And then drive it slow through Georgia. Let's get to the show topic. Oh, man, I'm just now to my old exit, too. Through with seminary. Through with seminary. So now that I have taken all of those courses, and now that you guys have learned what seminary people learn what they go through and how they're prepared well how do we look back at this what, what is a good retrospective well I've always said I don't even though I'm not a vocational pastor and I probably never will be and I'm very satisfied with my secular job of making heat maps like I did today um, I don't regret going to seminary because I appreciate what I learned and what I'm able to do with that knowledge, even if it's just giving you guys this, this podcast that hardly anybody ever listens to anymore. And as I've said to you guys, if any of these courses sound interesting to you, find a way to take them because it can only better you as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, that being said... I graduated seminary in 2017. Gosh, it's, it seems like so. It seems like so long ago now. I can't believe I've been out for nearly six years, but I have, and God, it took so long. 
And when I was in it, I would say the SBC was falling apart. Like in the process of falling apart, probably already past the tipping point, if you're familiar with Malcolm Gladwell's theory of a tipping point, where you, you've got, where you get a situation that needs to be fixed, but it can't be fixed because you're so far gone. It's sort of like a, a nuclear meltdown. Like the, little, the, the rods in the nuclear reactor have heated up and been irradiated, and you need to cool them off, but now you're at the point where you can't cool them down. It's in a meltdown, and the wrong thing has happened, and there's no going back. It's going to explode. It, might not ha- it's, it hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. You've you got a Chernobyl on your hands. And that's where I think we are as Baptists with the Southern Baptist Convention. It's, it's past the point of no return. And I think in seminary, I was of the impression that it could be rehabilitated. And now I realize, like, no, even then it was probably past the point, past that tipping point. And right now it's just in shambles. So now that I'm through with seminary, would I ever go back to an SBC seminary? And I was like, if I wanted to go, where would I go? Where would somebody who was where I was at, if they wanted to be through with seminary, golly, could they still go to New Orleans? Um, I don't know. I, I really don't know the answer to that question. I don't know if you can get a non-woke education in the SBC seminary anymore. And if you know, you we want to be a part of it because, like the the leadership of the SBC, I just think I just think they're the worst. They're just the worst. You know, I don't have an opinion on the leadership of, say, the PCUSA or the UMC, like the mainline liberal apostate denominations that apostatized a long time ago. Like, you know, they're just like, well, you, you guys are, you're never on my side. I don't, it's like, think, what is my uh, opinion on the president of Namibia? Namibia, I don't care. I'm not from Namibia. Those aren't my people. Uh, or, or the president of Malawi or, you know, some other country that I've, I've never heard of and will never go to. But yeah, people who I thought were like my confederates, if you will, we're talking about the Southern Baptist Convention, get it, my, my confederates, like, oh man, I don't want anything to do with y'all. I think y'all are terrible. And that makes me mad. When you think the people who are like you and have the same goal as you and it turns out they don't, I think that tends to irritate you more. So, yeah, not only am I through with seminary, I'm pretty much through with, uh, with the SBC and I wish other people would, would see it too. Now, what about the things that went on in my personal life? Remember, I told you guys in a previous episode, like I'm just trying to get, I don't want to get, I don't want to get kicked out of a church and get kicked out of seminary. I'm almost done. Well, when I got done with this Hebrew class, I was done at Roland Springs. By the time I went to graduate, I had already uh, had to find membership at a new church where I still have my membership. Fellowship Baptist Church of Sydney, Montana. And I know that's a weird story because I'm not in Montana. But you guys who are familiar with the show and the time I went up there to get licensed are familiar with that situation. My membership is still there. That's not optimal. But not any really place I want to be a member of in Cartersville, quite frankly. And I know a lot of you struggle with the same thing I do. But yeah, uh, I got through with seminary and then I sent all my fr- the Freemasonry books to the 
general congregation at Roland Springs, and you know, I'm gone in a couple weeks. That was that. And that was the right thing to do, and like I said, uh, I knew that. So what is my through with seminary experience? It's a lot different. Most people get through with seminary and get licensed if they aren't already and then maybe move on from being a youth pastor to a associate pastor or a senior pastor, or at least get a pay bump. Because a lot of the people in seminary are already seminarians, but it was basically like, I got through with SB Seminary and got kicked out of the SBC Church. And by the way, there is no the Southern Baptist Church. It's a, you can anybody who ever says the Southern Baptist Church, like especially a reporter, they don't know what they're talking about when they talk what, what they're reporting on. There are Southern Baptist churches, but I got, you know, kicked out of what was a typical Southern Baptist Church for taking a biblical theological stand, and uh, that's sort of the opposite of what you'd think when you graduated seminary, you'd think a local church would be like, oh, this is brother so-and-so. He's just graduated seminary. Let's have him. You know, we're thankful to have him. We're proud of him. Let's have him teach Sunday school. But that is not what personally happened uh, with me. It's sort of, uh, it's, it, it's, it's, it's as if you went through West Point and then when you got done, you're like, I don't want to be in the Army. I think the Army's awful. That's how I felt about the, the SBC. Yeah, I, that's how I feel about it right now. I just think it's awful. And I think there's a lot of people in it who are like I was, who, who haven't realized it's awful and it's past the tipping point because they're just not educated like I have been. And I, I feel bad for those people. I don't want to say I worry about it. Like, where are they going to go get their theological education? Because maybe 20 years from now, the SBC will be so corrupt and bad and liberal that you can't get the type of theological education I got. Yeah, it was past the tipping point when I was there, but I still got a conservative biblical theological education, of which I am appreciative, asterisk, except for church leadership and administration, pastoral ministry, which were garbage classes. But here I am still trying to, uh, number one, live a Christian life like, like I should have always done since I got saved, which we should always do, no matter whether we pursue a formal Christian education or not, trying to evangelize the lost and make disciples. But me specifically, you know, what's that look like as, a, as an apologist? Well, I don't do as much apologetics as I used to, but if somebody would write in a question on this podcast about Christian theology and apologetics, I could do that. People, remember when people used to do that? But there you go, that was uh, something I was involved in in my life for almost a decade. And I finished it. I told my wife, I said, as long as, you know, since I've started, I'm never going to take a semester off because I know so many people take a semester off and then they quit. Seminary has a very high rate of people not finishing. And if you look, like from a value perspective, if you look at the people who graduate seminary or are still in the mission, or, or enroll in seminary or graduate from seminary and are still in a vocational ministry job three, five, ten years later, it's not, it's not a good number. Like if you look at people who are, say, accountants, I graduated with an accounting degree or an accountant ten years later, it's a pretty high percentage. Now there's people who, who don't make it as CPAs, there's a lot of people who don't make it as that. 
because that's that's a whole other story. But unlike other degrees, you know, you get a psychology degree, you're probably going to be a psychologist or a counselor or something like that. But I, I am one of the many uh, seminary graduates who just just not in any type of formal employed ministry, and that's okay with me. Like I said, I think uh, I might be better off for it because I can have my opinions and I can afford my convictions. I'm, I'm very blessed, unlike a lot of people who know what I know, to be able to afford my convictions. I can sit down in the church lobby, whip out my phone, and write a withering critique. I, I've used withering twice in this podcast. A withering critique of the song they just sang in the sanctuary and say, this is crap. It's from Hillsong. And what, what do you care? What, are you, you, you going to fire me? For all I know, the minister thinks the same thing. He can't say it. I can drive by this Cross Point City Church sticker minivan and say, I think that is a rock and roll coffee church that no one should go to. And I don't get any professional blowback from that. As far as like professional clergy people probably would not want to say that out loud. There's a level of decorum that they just wouldn't do. But you know what? They need to. I'll say it. Don't go there. I went there physically, by the way. This is going to be a rabbit trail of an episode. I went there physically. Oh, don't get over on me. Don't do it. Thank you for not cutting me off, tractor trailer. It was either last week or the week before last. My uh, daughter's chorus concert was there at Cross Point City Church because they needed a venue and Cross Point was gracious enough to let the church come there. I appreciated that. But here's what happens when I try to go sit and watch something. Either me or my wife don't get to sit and watch it because the little kids wander off. So my two-year-old wandered off. And then the, I guess, is he four? I don't know how, I think he's four. The four-year-old wandered off with her. And I I went to chase them down and they had gone up the stairs to the balcony. And I thought, okay, this is great. You know, because nobody was in the balcony and they could just walk around. So I'll just watch the rest of the chorus concert from there. Because Cross Point City Church has a balcony. It's the old Church of God building in Cartersville. So it's a it's a, it's a mid-sized church building where you have the first floor and the balcony. Which I think were typical of the churches built, say, in the, the mid-80s. That's the kind of church I grew up in. And then the kid wandered down the stairs and I was like, where'd they go? And I found the little green room that they have. So they have a little green room for their worship team people that had a mirror with little lights on it and a curling iron for the ladies to give some last-minute prep. And I found on the wall the order of service from last Sunday's service. And there, right in the middle of it, was reckless love. And just like, here are, here are people who do not give a flip about theology proper and the nature of God. They sing this song, Reckless Love, talking about God being reckless. Come on. That's not anthropomorphizing it. It's just wrong. But that's the kind of church that would sing that song. And what can I do? I can get on this podcast and just dog it all day long. Not going to make me look bad as a professional minister. I, I, I wish we had professional ministers like that, but 
I think the reason is we don't have more of them is that we just don't have the congregations to support them. That's not what most congregations want. And that's fine with me. I know I'm rare even among people who will sit there and criticize that. And it's... I'm not more quote-unquote qualified to do that kind of thing than anybody else out there because what is it? Priesthood of all believers, right? We all have soul competency. That's this basic Baptist doctrine, right? The basic Baptist understanding. We have the we have soul competency in that we don't need a priest to go before us and we have the priesthood of all believers. We're all equal before God. We don't have some special qualification that somebody else has. But I can, I think, see a church like that with reckless love and the coffee bar. Do you know they charge for coffee there? I got, I'm sorry, i got to say this. It's so interesting to me. They have a coffee bar where they charge 3 or $4 for coffee. And I, I you know, fine. If you're making the mocha coffee or the frappuccino coffee, I, yeah, don't give that away. I know that's expensive. I, I'm not even really criticizing that. But what I noticed is that they had separate coffee, just like the kind of coffee they give away at church. I, rarely have I gone to a church and they don't have coffee. Some people have a more elaborate setup than others. First Baptist has a nice little coffee and tea setup that I was so glad is back after COVID because it went away. I was like, well, when, all right, COVID's over. When do we get our coffee back and our tea? And the regular coffee, they called it self-service coffee that didn't have a barista and a coffee machine with it. It was a dollar. You still had to buy it. And I thought to myself, of course, because this dollar makes the other coffee look valuable. Because if you can get coffee for free, you're not really going to go buy the barista coffee. But if it costs a dollar, you're going to say, you know what, for only a dollar or two more, so you're, I'm, I'm now I'm buying this coffee, it's not something free. For a dollar or two more, I can get the barista coffee. So I think that actually increases the sales of their coffee. But coffee is like one of those things where you go to church or you go to work or you go to the hospital waiting room. It's like this is universally free. Who in the world is... Is selling coffee. It's a giveaway thing. And you had to buy it. The only place I'd ever been that was like a workplace or a church or a hospital that charged for the coffee was Jewish Family and Career Services. They had a little cake-up machine. And you, you're on the honor system where you put a quarter in to get your coffee pod. And I, you know, it's a charity. And it's a Jewish charity. And you had to... Yeah, you know, you had to reimburse them for the coffee. I get it. I always thought that was interesting about Crosspoint. They're charging for coffee. Regular, plain coffee. And singing Reckless Love. And as far as qualifications, to get back to my point, like I can sit there with a theological education and I can say, this is why this is unbiblical. This is why what you're doing is wrong. And not only do I have the theological basis to say that, like, I've been to school for this is how we can grow church, and I can clearly see what you're doing is growth for the sake of growth. And, you know, they're in on it at the leadership level, and they're just trying to get you guys to be drones. Yes, being through with seminary sort of put me in this weird position where I've, I've seen the man behind the curtain, right, from Wizard of Oz. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. I've seen the man behind the curtain. I'm still a pew sitter. Like, that's my lot in life. That's where I am. I am a pew sitter at church. I am not a minister of any kind. I'm not clergy. I'm not in on it, if you will. But I know what the people who are in on it know. I have been educated to do what they do. 
for better or for worse. And I can just never be that pew sitter who's just there experiencing it anymore. Like, I see the motive behind it, and the motive is not always biblical. And I'm glad to have seen behind the curtain. But I'm, you know, I'm fine with sitting behind the pew. And I think I'm going to end it right there through with seminary. That was my personal experience. It was worth it. $20,000, it was worth it. I don't want my $20,000 back. $20,000 plus. By the way, it's a pretty good price for a whole master's, isn't it? Uh, I think... What is today? Today's Thursday. Friday... Maybe a two-parter. So here's my current situation. I don't want to run over in, into Friday's show too much. I signed us up for this soccer tournament because my soccer team was very successful. You know, we're undefeated. Let's go try out a tournament. Let's go see, you know, I'm not ready for our season to be over. Let's go celebrate. Let's go have fun. Uh, I think, you know, we're serious enough to do that because I don't want to go to a tournament as, you know, a 500 crappy team and get blown out of the water. So let's go. let's go see if we can find some more serious teams. So I signed us up for the tournament. And one of the reasons I've always been worried about signing up for the tournament is, well, they have games on Sunday. And if I got a, you know, a game on Sunday, that means I can't go to church. Well, I'm, you, know, you guys can go play if you want, but I'm not going to bring my kids and I'm not going to coach. But what I did is I asked the tournament, I said, can I have a later game on Sunday so we can go to church? Figuring, you know, I'll find a place with an early service. You know, right here in the Bible Belt, I'll be able to find a Baptist church in Noonan with an early service. Or I thought, well, even if I get an 8 a.m. game, we can go play from 8 to 9 to 9.30, and then we can go catch the 10.30 or 11 o'clock service. So either way, I don't have to skip church, which I wouldn't do. So I have been looking for sort of a one-shot church in Noonan, a church to go to in Noonan. You know, I'm planning my Sunday out to be there, and I think you need to be very intentional about finding a church to go to in this day and age or anything. In any day and age, because you can't just show up to XYZ Church anymore and expect it to be Orthodox. So I think what I'll do Friday is talk about like the trouble I've had just finding a decent church to go to in Noonan, right here in the Bible Belt. Dot dot dot. Within my constraint of I need to go to an early service. So I think I'll discuss that, and then Monday I'll probably talk about my experience. Because what I, I can already feel that I'm going to have to bite the bullet and sort of roll the dice on where we go. Oh, come on. You acted like you're going to get over, Lexus. This car was in the left lane. They faked getting over. They faked it. All right. They faked it like so many clergy out there. Thanks for listening to the Christian Commute. Lord willing, I'll be back with you again tomorrow. As always, God bless. And as always, remember Christianity is not about getting saved. It's about being saved. Thanks for listening to the Christian Commute. Please send your questions about Christian apologetics and theology to sethdunn88 at gmail.com. If you are not a Christian, please remember that you can be reconciled to God through the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent of your sins now and accept Jesus as Lord. God bless.